Hi, there are sermon notes in the attachment that has all the worship uh, songs and other stuff in there. You might want to use that to follow along because there are a number of scriptures this morning that will help you understand what we're talking about. But we're going to read from Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6, and it's the story of the golden calf. And just to give you context on that, the uh, Israelites have been in Egypt, as you remember. They have been led out by Moses. They've gone through the Red Sea. They have had some experience in the wilderness where they've been fed with manna and water has been miraculously brought to them. And then they end up at the bottom of uh, Mount Sinai. And then this is what happens after they've been there for, I don't know, maybe a year already. Here's the story out of Exodus 32, 1 to 6. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, uh, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And so the next day the people rose early. They sacrificed burnt offerings. They presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, which is a sort of euphemistic thing of some sexual activity they shouldn't have been doing. Father God, as we open your word this morning, we just pray that you would help us to understand. We pray, God, that you would speak through your word, through your spirit, the way you promised you would. Help us to understand and also to learn that we would be encouraged in our walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We start this morning in the wilderness. And we're thinking in this golden calf episode about what would have to happen for this story to begin. Well, as we said, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea, and they must have thought they were almost home. You know, maybe a quick month or so across the desert, and then straight into the promised land. Just long enough, you know, get a good tan, start fresh in that land flowing with milk and honey. And instead, it's just been one disaster after another. They've run out of food and water. God has to miraculously provide. He provides the food by giving them manna. We don't exactly know what that is, but it's some kind of a wafer. It tastes a little bit like honey. It tastes pretty good, apparently, at least for the first few days. But the challenge is they only have manna, and they have to eat it day after day, three meals a day. They can only find so many ways to cook it. Even in the Instant Pot, there's only so many recipes online. And they suddenly find themselves thinking back to all the foods they had in Egypt. They're camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai, as I say, for maybe a solid year. And for most of that time, Moses isn't even there. He's been running up and down the mountain about seven different times meeting with God. And there they are. They're in a desert. They're not in the promised land. They're stuck there for almost a year without proper food. They find themselves caught in between. They're neither in Egypt nor are they in the promised land. 
It's taking way longer than they imagined. They're challenged by camping in tents. They're not living in the houses they thought they'd get. They have a leader who doesn't seem to know what he's doing, and he's gone most of the time anyway. And they began to feel that maybe all of this is not a good idea, and that maybe God is no longer present. And it's in the midst of this that they make this golden calf. And I think not so much out of belief that there's another God, but more in panic that the God they do know has failed them, that he isn't up to the challenges they now face. They've trusted in Moses, but he seems to be failing. They've trusted in the situation in themselves. That hasn't gone so well. And they've struggled to trust in God. And I wonder as you hear that story, if you don't hear echoes of our story, that the fact that we're in a wilderness at this point in time as well. I mean, isn't it easy to look around ourselves today and just feel that we're between the times? And however challenging last year might have been for you, I have the feeling it's starting to look pretty good now. I mean, we know the virus is going to end, but when, how, well, that's pretty vague. We're finding ourselves in a desert, in the wilderness, if you want. We aren't where we were. We sure aren't where we're going. And now we're not even sure what what we're going to will look like. And so we find ourselves like the Israelites in challenging times. It's an unexpected length with fallible leaders who don't seem to know what they're doing. It's easy to feel not only a lack of God's presence, but to begin to even feel that there's this hollowness of God's absence. And when we experience that, even as Christians, it's easy to start to look for another God to put our trust in. We begin to feel that maybe we just need to trust in ourselves, that we don't need a God beyond ourselves. We go back to that phrase, if it is to be, it's up to me. I'm just going to stock up on pasta, tuna, and toilet paper, lock the door, hunker down, and wait it out. I'm going to trust in stuff. Or maybe I'll trust in myself. Or maybe I have nothing to trust in. And a sense of panic and dread begins to come in. And that's where the story of the golden calf occurs. When this happened to the Israelites, they made a calf out of gold. Why a calf? Well, because one of the most common idols they would have seen in Egypt is a bull. And a calf is sort of a portable bull. It's a symbol of power and strength. And so they make this gold idol of a bull. And then they rub God's nose in what they've done. They said in verse 4 of Exodus 32, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And that's a direct quote of God's statement at the start of the giving of the Ten Commandments, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And then he goes, of course, into the first of the Ten Commandments, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. But the story of the golden calf is the undoing of the story of the Ten Commandments. There's parallels all over the place, and we can only look at a few of them. But as we read in that story, it says, when Aaron saw what they were doing with the calf, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced that tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And that 
parallels what was happening after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Back in Exodus 24, it says, Moses had written everything down, the Lord had said, and he got up early the next morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and he sent the young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. He got up early. He built an altar. He sacrificed burnt offerings. They presented fellowship offerings. And then uh, a couple of verses later, back after the giving of the Ten Commandments, it says God didn't raise his hand against these leaders. They saw God and they ate and drank. Again, just like in the time of the golden calf. In other words, the Israelites have undone everything that God had given them in the Ten Commandments. The covenant that God had renewed with them, the law that he had given them, all the things that he had talked to them about, they have undone that and said, no, you are not our God. These are our gods who brought us out of Egypt. And Moses responds by doing two things. The first thing he does is he intercedes with God. He prays on behalf of the people. In Exodus 32, 31, it says, Moses went back to the Lord and said, What a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please, forgive their sin. He will do that two more times before God finally seems to hear him and forgive them. In Exodus 34, verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And what Moses was doing there was kind of foreshadowing what Jesus is doing for us today. In Hebrews verse, chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Jesus is able to save completely because he always lives to intercede for us. But it's not only Jesus that he begins to uh, foreshadow. It's really us as well. Paul writes to Timothy, what, what is it that people should be doing? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And wouldn't it be great if we were living peaceful and quiet lives? Well, not as peaceful and quiet as we are uh, isolated, but peaceful and quiet the way it used to be. And so Moses intercedes for the people, but he doesn't stop there. What he does next is he offers himself in place of the Israelites. Uh, in chapter 32, verse 30, it says, The next day Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses went back to the Lord and said, What a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please, forgive their sin. But if not, then block me out of the book you've written. So the word atonement, not a word we use a lot today, but to atone for sin means to offer something to pay the penalty for it. And God has already given the Israelites what they need. He's given them the tabernacle. He's given them the priests. He's given them the whole sacrificial system as a way of making atonement for their sin. What the Israelites would do is they would get an animal. They would bring it to the altar. They would put their hand on its head. They would symbolically transfer their sin to the animal. And then the priest would kill the animal and would sacrifice it. And in its death would be their forgiveness. 
And yet somehow Moses realized that something more was required. And so he offers himself. And I think it's just this early indication right at the start of the sacrificial system that the sacrificial system itself is not going to be enough. That it points to something beyond itself. And Moses seems to sense that it points to something personal. That there's something personal already embedded in the sacrificial system right at the beginning. And it helps us to see how that Old Testament sacrifice is going to be fulfilled. When Jesus comes and dies on the cross and dies for our sins, his death atones. It, it deals with our sin. But it, his death was not to undo the law, but to bring it to its final and ultimate expression. In fact, all sacrifice had pointed towards that from the beginning. So Moses comes and he does two things. He comes and he intercedes for the people and he comes and he offers himself as a substitute, as an atonement, if you want. And God just rejects Moses' offer to be the substitute. And instead, he says, Moses says, um, if not, then block me out of the book you've written. And in verse 33 of chapter 32 of Exodus, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. In other words, not you, but them. In other words, Moses is not able to atone for their sins. And part of that is because the substitute must be without blemish or fault. And Moses is not without blemish or fault. He's not pure and blameless in any way. You can see that as you read through the story. In fact, only Jesus, the spotless lamb, can be our atonement. And that's what Hebrews 9 is trying to explain. In Hebrews 9.13, it says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more the blood of Christ, who offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And so Moses interceded, and God accepted his intercession. He tried to atone, but God did not receive his atonement or accept it because it was inadequate for what was needed. But even so, God forgives the people. And the last part of this is this amazing story of God's forgiveness, that although these people would make an idol that would uh, replace God, that though they tried to undo what they had done at the giving of the Ten Commandments, yet God forgives them and he shows it like six different ways. First one, the tent of meeting. Uh, this is a tent that Moses used to pitch on the edge of the camp before they built the tabernacle. And it said Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And it's this idea that God is still willing to be present with his people. He's willing to meet with Moses in the tent of meeting. Secondly, he's willing to speak to Moses face to face. It says in Exodus 33:11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. God would mostly work through signs. He would talk to a burning bush. He would meet with a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. But he speaks to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then there's this most amazing story of how Moses gets to see God's glory. 
And Moses says to God in a moment of just um, probably naked worship, he just says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But, God said, you can't see my face. No one can see me and live. And then the Lord said, but there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. But my face must not be seen. And it's this wonderful promise of God that he would reveal himself to Moses in a way that he revealed himself to nobody else. And maybe you remember Fanny Crosby's great old hymn about it. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love, and he covers me there with his hand. And God reveals himself to Moses as a sign of his forgiveness and a sign of his moving forward with Moses. He, number four, gives him new stone tablets. You remember when Moses came down and saw the golden calf, he broke the stone tablets that the uh, Ten Commandments were written on, and God gives him some new ones. It says in Verse 30, chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first. Fifthly, he renews the covenant. The covenant. And the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in the world. And the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. And he renews the covenant that he had made at the giving of the Ten Commandments, which was a renewal of the covenant he'd made with Abraham. And that covenant that he'd made at the Ten Commandments was the one that the Israelites had turned away from in the story of the golden calf. They'd undone all that, and God redoes it as a sign of his forgiveness. And then the final thing is Moses' face glowed. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And Moses reflected God's glory because he'd been in the presence of God. He had seen and experienced his glory, but the rest of the story is because of his sin and imperfection, Moses reflected God imperfectly, and over time that glow faded. But the good news is that what Moses again points forward to is Jesus, that Jesus came as the ultimate sign of God's presence and God's glory. And Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. So what do we do with that story? Well, I've suggested we should be able to put ourselves into it because the situation is not totally dissimilar from where we find ourselves. And I want to suggest that maybe we see ourselves in a couple of different places. As followers of Jesus, we can sometimes be like the Israelites in the wilderness, tempted to be our own gods. We don't see God doing what we want him to do, so we either do our own thing and become our own gods, or we follow some other god, or we lose faith in God. And God forgives that lack of faith and obedience when we come and confess it to him. 
And one of the things we can learn is those times that we fail, God is still a forgiving God. But the other thing, and this is one that I think is important for today as well, is as followers of God, we're to be like Moses. And Moses was the one who interceded for the people around him. He was lifting them up. He was asking God to forgive them. He was willing to be uh, thrown out himself if that would make it easier for God to forgive. He was willing to pay the penalty if he could, which he couldn't. But he was willing to intercede. And I just think that that's what God is calling us to do for the people around us today as well. That we're to lift people up and bring them to God and ask for his power and his presence and his peace to be with them. That while we can't pay the penalty for their sins, we can introduce them to Jesus who can and has. And when we spend time in the worship of God and when we spend time in praying and intercession for others, I think our lives will start to glow. I think there will be a fire of God's presence within us and we'll be like the burning bush which burned but didn't burn out. And if you remember, it was that bush that first drew Moses to God. It drew him close enough to meet God and to hear him speak to him face to face. And to hear his call to him to say, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And I think as we as God's people and God's church reflect his glory, and as we're on fire for him, people will be drawn. People will be drawn to God. And in being drawn to God, they will hear him call them by name. And he will draw them into relationship with him. We live in wilderness times. We live in this time where we're unsure of what tomorrow brings. And I think people all around us are starting to look for security and certainty. Everything we knew has been taken away from us. Everything we know about the future, and believed about the future, we still hope for, but we don't know if it will be there the way it was. And without knowing it, I think we're looking for God. We're looking for a sense of His forgiveness. We're looking for an experience of His presence. People are looking for a God who loves them and forgives them and protects them through these challenging times that we've never navigated before. And I just think one of the things with the story is that it's a wonderful truth that God covers us with his hand, that he protects us while he reveals himself afresh in his power and his presence and his peace. And as he does that, there's this glow about us that draws people to see what it is. That draws them close enough, hopefully, to hear them, to hear God. Call them by name and to speak to them about his presence and his power and his peace. That they can experience what Fanny Crosby wrote about in that hymn. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love, and he covers me there with his hand. And Father God, this morning we just thank you that you do love us and forgive us. 
that you want to have a relationship with us in spite of the fact that we are a sinful and disobedient people. We thank you, God, that you want to use us to make a difference in the lives of those around us, that we can intercede for them, not just in prayer, but by how we live our life. And Father, we pray that we would have that glow about us that would draw people to you, a fire that burns, that draws them close enough to hear you call them by name and invite them into relationship with you. And Father God, we pray in these challenging times when sometimes we find ourselves in doubt and questioning of who you are, where you are, and why you're doing what you are, that we would experience you hiding our life in the depths of your love and covering us with your hand. May we live in the shelter of your protection. May we live reflecting your glory. May we live as those who have faith in you. And may that faith draw others to you as well. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.